Hello everyone, this is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist, and I'd like to welcome you to episode 45 of Compliance Into the Weeds, a podcast with myself and Matt Kelly, where we take a deep dive into a compliance-related topic. Today we take a deep dive into the July 4th holiday tone at the top example, or non-example perhaps is a better way to phrase it, of New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, who took his family to the beach in New Jersey after closing them for the rest of the state of New Jersey. We talk about this in the context of challenges for ethical leadership and how when a private law only benefits one person, that person has to exercise that law ethically. It's a fascinating discussion of leadership, ethics, and tone at the top. Compliance Into the Weeds is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back again with my good friend and colleague, Matt Kelly, for another episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. We are out of the July 4th weekend holiday, but Matt wrote about a significant compliance and ethics-related event, so I thought we might explore that. So, Matt, why don't you tell us about your good friend down in New Jersey, Chris Christie? Yeah. Hello, Tom. Um, I will be very qualified in describing Chris Christie as somebody who I admire or think is a good leader because I generally do not. Um, You know, what I wrote about uh, that caught my mind, and probably a lot of listeners saw this over the weekend of July 4th, I think that's Sunday, July 2nd, uh, Chris Christie was seen on a state beach in New Jersey, and he was the only one on that beach because... due to a budget standoff between Christie and the legislature in Trenton, New Jersey, uh, they had a state government shutdown, and that would include all the public beaches that the state owns. And so nobody was supposed to be allowed on the beach. And then lo and behold, Chris Christie anyways went down to what is the name of it? The Island Beach State Park on the Jersey Shore, uh, where the governor's mansion has uh, some sort of a summer home uh, presence there. And basically, he just used the summer mansion at his own discretion on a public beach that had been closed because of a state standoff. Nobody else could. He was there. And then to top it off, because everybody knew he was there, um, Of course, some enterprising New Jersey media chartered a private plane, which flew over the beach and took 22 very good, high quality, lovely photographs of Chris Christie and his family on this pristine, deserted beach all by themselves. There is at least one photo where Christie is looking right at the plane. I'm surprised he didn't wave. And uh, then all the reporters back at the budget standoff said to the spokesman, Well, where is the governor today? He is not at the beach. We have photos of him at the beach. Oh, well, he didn't get any sun on the beach. He was wearing a hat. And this nonsense, that's really what it was. This is just executive nonsense that really would stick in the craw of anyone, let alone a New Jersey voter. I'm sure they have steam coming out of their ears over this. Um, But I think that there are some important lessons about tone at the top and the lack thereof. And that prompted me to just go a little bit nuts on Chris Christie's stunt from this past weekend. Well, Matt, I guess the first thing I took away from your piece, and the piece we're referring to is found on Radical Compliance, and it's entitled Tone at the Top Gone Wrong, the Christie Example, is um, something I learned in, in even in my law practice world, but even in the corporate world more so, which is perception is reality. 
And Andre mm-hmm. Agassi was right years ago when he said that in a, uh, I think, a Canon commercial. And um, here we had the perception of privilege. And whether that perception was right or uh, wrong, the, uh, the rea- it became the reality. And that's really was one of the messages I got from your blog post for senior executives, which is, uh, can you do it legally? Can you do it uh, within the corporate framework that you work? Sure. But it's really should you, because what's the perception going to be? And I really thought that that was an interesting point that uh, you raised in terms of what might drive misconduct. Was it illegal? Perhaps not. Did it violate a policy or procedure? Perhaps not. Yet, nonetheless, it could still negatively impact an employee workforce. Yeah, I, the way I described it was um, that this is all about the perception of undeserved privilege. And I studied Latin at Catholic school way back when, when I was a boy. The word privilege comes from Latin, basically meaning private law. And this is a standard that some person can use themselves, but not the rest of us. And do we believe that you are not entitled to this private privilege? Um, That's really the question here. I'm not even saying, did you see undeserved privilege, because sometimes you might see something that looks like it, but it isn't undeserved privilege. Do the people, in this case, the voters of New Jersey, but uh, in the corporate world, it would be your employees, do they perceive that you are doing something they can't do and you don't deserve to do it? That's what drives misconduct. Uh, you know, For example, um, all the anti-fraud auditors out there, they would know that uh, the fraud triangle that is used to describe where fraud comes from. One of the three legs of the fraud triangle is rationalization, where employees somehow talk themselves into believing it's okay for me to commit misconduct. You could very easily see this is where it comes from. They perceive that the, well, you know, the CEO gets to fly his kids on the family plane to go out to some gathering in the West Coast. So if he can do that, I guess I can just put my spouse on the company card and, you know, buy her plane ticket as I go off to Florida and nobody's going to know. The employee thinks that they are deserving of the same privilege that the executive has, a private standard that I can use. Even if the CEO has that clause in his contract that he can fly family members on the private aircraft, which I think is a terrible clause, but it's legal. It can be done. Uh, That doesn't mean that the employee can reach the same conclusion. No, you don't actually have a legal ability to defraud the company just because the CEO does something that kind of sort of looks similar, but really it's kind of stinks. But, you know, that makes it okay for me to do this. That's where all of this rationalization comes from. It comes from things like this, from a tone at the top that doesn't relay good ethical conduct. It relays this this sort of petty behavior of undeserved private privilege that I can exercise and you can't. And that sends people down these rabbit holes of misconduct on their own. Matt, if I could tie this uh, back into the evaluation of corporate compliance programs document, which came out uh, from the Department of Justice in February, one of the things that struck me was in the section around tone at the top, they changed tone to read conduct at the top. And I thought that was a subtle yet very important distinction 
because the question, initial question posed was, how have senior, senior leaders, through their words and actions, encouraged or discouraged this type of misconduct in question? And I really found that, or thought that that question, uh, coupled with the title of it, conduct at the top, uh, the DOJ was directing us to to consider something more than just the tone, just what senior management would say, but really to think and talk about their actions and how they're perceived throughout the corporate, uh, excuse me, throughout the corporation. And that was part of what I read into your blog post as well. Yeah, I mean, it, it has to go to really core values um, of of an organization, which should generally reflect the core values of standard society, and most people prefer to see senior leaders with a value of humility. What Chris Christie did was not humble. And there are, I think, many examples of Chris Christie not being a humble person, but this really was an exercise of privilege, or I don't know what the antonym for humble would be, but you know, a very unhumble approach to life Arrogant. that... Um, Arrogant, thank you. Th- that uh, basically nobody else can get to do. If I wandered onto that beach, I'd be arrested. I'd be arrested not because I'm getting too close to the governor. I'm getting arrested because it's closed. Well, if it's closed to the public, isn't Chris Christie public? How come he's on it? And all of these these things go through people's heads. And I, I will give it to CEOs that what I'm arguing for here. This is not easy. There are plenty of times when even a CEO is entitled to take a vacation. Chris Christie is entitled to take a vacation. He is entitled not even to take a full vacation, but just a break from what I am sure were some very exasperating negotiations with Democrats in the New Jersey legislature. I am sure that they are not a fun group to hang around with. And like most of us, when we get sick of people, eventually we say, I just need a break. We want to go somewhere. However, he went somewhere that nobody else could go and nobody else could do just because he's the governor. And so he gets it. And that's the sort of thing that sticks in people's craw, right or wrong, even if legally he was allowed to do this. Just because it's technically right, that does not mean it is substantively right. And then you get into these sort of messes of poor tone at the top. And the reverberations of that through a big organization just can cause all sorts of problems. And I guess, Matt, your post brought up something else for me, which was your interview of Wei Chin, which you posted on your YouTube site and on your blog post site, in that she said that one of the things she wanted to accomplish with the release of the evaluation was to have the compliance officer think, think about their program, think about how it's perceived throughout the organization, and also think about how you would use information and data to reincorporate uh, back into your program to make it more effective. And I guess this type of data point would certainly be something that a chief compliance officer uh, could use and should use as an example of, of really not showing proper conduct at the top. So I was really intrigued uh, how, at least for me, it brought up several different points uh, from the evaluation from your interview of Wei Chen, uh, tied all back to, uh, I really loved uh, your Latin citation of where privilege came from and pointing out that it's really a private law that benefits only one person who doesn't deserve it. And what's the effect on the rest of us when something like that happens? Yeah, you know, and in fact, so I was trying to give that some thought in my post about Chris Christie. Is like, what are compliance officers supposed to do with this sort of insight about 
the perception of undeserved privilege. Okay, if that's a risk, you, what? how do you assess it? What do you do to manage it? Um, I came up with really, I think, two practical things compliance officers might be able to take away from this whole messy scenario. Um, it is a great way to approach senior executives to talk about tone at the top and proper conduct, which are nice words to say, but they can be a little vague. What does it really mean? Well, it's certainly easy to show what it shouldn't be. And you could take Chris Christie's example and say, it means not something like this. Now, CEO, now compensation and nominating committees on the board, as you're devising plans and recruiting senior executives, you know, Make sure that you find people who wouldn't behave in this way, even if they're legally entitled to, and even if it kind of sucks that you can't just because it's not going to be worth it. But that's the sort of person you want, a good, humble leader. Um, you know, that would be one good way to put this to use. And the other thing is, you know, like you said, trying to get some data and metrics around this. Do an employee survey of what they think of the tone at the top of the company. Uh, ask them for specific examples. I bet we would get some eye-opening specific examples. Uh, but I, I often think about a finding from Navex Global. They published a survey a couple of years ago and basically said that the biggest obstacle to effective compliance training is employee cynicism. Well, seeing actions that do not match up with the stated tone, that's where cynicism comes from comes from something like that. So ask employees, do you ever see these kind of gaps? Do you ever see this dissonance? See what they say. Uh, and I even, again, you know, I'm trying to give CEOs the benefit of the doubt as much as I can. You know, the employees might come back with a perception that's wrong. Uh, they might need to be uh, talked to or help you know, re-explain to them that actually it is important that the CEO fly first class or have a private aircraft if he or she needs to prepare for a big meeting with investors that are going to save everybody's jobs, yeah, it's worth it that he gets to fly first class while the rest of us are in coach um, because they need to be able to do something like that. But that's not privilege. That's a necessity. There's shades of difference. You need to call them out. You need to explain them. Sometimes the employees are going to be right. Sometimes management's going to be right. And sometimes each of them will be wrong. But uh, they, you know, they, those are some practical examples, I think, to put this to teachable moment to good use. Well, Matt, I thought it was a fascinating example from uh, literally torn from the headlines. Uh, it, it certainly got a lot of press and play because of these photographs, but ain't being able to utilize this in a way that I think not only helps the compliance practitioner and compliance professional inform a compliance program, but also really is just a direct lesson learned that you can present as a teachable moment to a uh, chief executive or senior management about what really drives misconduct. And coupled with the NAVEX survey and the, uh, the information that Wei Chen has given us both in your interview and the evaluation of corporate compliance programs, I thought it was a powerful example uh, to put forward out there. So kudos. Well, we should give thanks to Chris Christie, because without him, none of this conversation would be possible. <laughs> well, Matt, on that note, uh, perhaps uh, we could wish our listeners uh, a good week. And I've uh, been visiting with Matt Kelly, uh, founder of Radical Compliance, and we look forward to visiting with you again. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Tom. Hello again. This is Tom Fox. I'd like to thank you again for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. 
If you've listened to this podcast on iTunes, I would greatly appreciate it if you would rate our podcast as it would help in our rankings and also get the word out about the only compliance podcast to take a deep dive into a compliance-related topic. Also, if you have any questions, please feel free to email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com or matt at mkelly at radicalcompliance.com. We'd love to hear from you. This is Tom Fox. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds, and we hope that you will join us again for another episode. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.